morning, everybody. This is Will Richardson in San Francisco. Welcome to the 10X Advisor podcast. Today, I'm excited to be with Gary Claben again. Many of you, if you haven't, go back and listen to Gary's podcast uh, from a few years ago. It's excellent. He talks about things like creating mind maps for clients. Uh, Gary is the CEO of Coil Financial Council. And what they do is they help entrepreneurs establish and grow their family compound. Welcome, Gary. Hey, welcome. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on again. I must have done okay the first time. Oh, we got great feedback, and I'm glad to glad to have you on here again. And there's an amazing range of topics we didn't get to last time, and also ways that you've changed since then. Yeah, you know, we got to either growing or dying, right? There's no there's no nothing in between. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, you know, I think one of the changes for you is you've transitioned uh, out of running the business into uh, bringing on a, a powerful COO. Can you tell us a little bit about that evolution? Sure. You know, um, and a lot of folks who are listening struggle with this, how they, you know, they end up finding themselves being an implementer, you know, to use EOS terms, you know, the operating system, and they're trying to, you know, be just a visionary and get out of all that. And, and it really requires you to have a really strong uh, chief operating officer who can, you know, run the business so that you can do what you do best, and that's not running the business. And uh, my my point to folks, and they might want to consider this, this is kind of a something I didn't, haven't mentioned before, but um, junior military officers coming out of the military are usually a, a really good find for a lot of businesses. So they they have been trained by the military, you know, millions of dollars of training, and they've got five, six, seven years in the military. They may have come out of the, one of the academies or ROTC programs from uh, different universities. So they've got a good 10 years of training in these folks. And they just know how to get things done. They know how to execute, how to get stuff done. They're really good at, at that whole aspect. The issue, I only issue I see when they're coming out is usually it takes them first two, three, four, five years before they kind of get their feet wet to understand what the civilian sector is all about. So many times, They'll switch jobs one or two or three times in the first five years till they figure out what really fits them. So my suggestion is, if you can go out to various um, you know firms that can help you find uh, candidates, is you find a, a, a former junior military officer who's been out three or four or five, six, seven years, and look at them to hire on as a COO. Um, you, you could have good results with that. And it's something I went back to in my days when I came out as a junior military officer and then realizing that how well these folks are trained to execute. And a lot of entrepreneurs just need somebody who's really good day after day executing the plan that's been put in place and making sure uh, you know everybody's accountable and everything's happening according to what is planned. And then they segue and change and make changes relative to what needs to be done as time goes along. And they're used to doing that especially combat officers coming out of the various military branches and so forth. So I've just a suggestion for looking for um, a great places to go to these. And there's a couple of military recruiters out there who do, that's all they do. And they do a really great job at it. Um, one I use is called the Lucas group, but there's others out there as well. It's just a source that I think most folks are kind of aware of. And, and once they think about that, they say, boy, that might be something I'll try and see if I can find a really good executor. Oh my gosh, that's brilliant. I just wrote that down. She said Locus Group? Lucas Group, yes. Lucas. Yeah, they've been oh, around since, uh, I think since the late 70s, I believe they were started by an Air, might have been an Air Force officer, uh, you know, retired or you know, left in service. I, I'm not exactly certain, but I know it was a former military officer. Well, and I didn't know that was your background, and, and it, it makes sense. I mean, you, you bring in somebody that, 
I mean, talk about getting the place efficient and running and, and systematized, nothing slipping through the cracks, man. I, I definitely see how this has taken off for you as a result of that. That's, yeah, uh, and, and they can come out of the senior enlisted pool too. You know, uh, men or women who've, who've made it to the top of senior ranks, these master sergeants, they call E8s, E9s even, um, who again are used to running large organizations and know how to really um, uh, lead and manage really well. Uh, so depending on what the kind, I mean, it, we have a lot of those folks out in, you know, in the, in the workplace. And if these entrepreneurs we're talking to today and on the call are doing their visioning really well, and they really have something that's got a lot of uh, a power to it, that somebody wants to be part of something bigger than themselves, these people are all on board. They're gonna make it happen. They're gonna execute. Do you find that they get up to speed quicker than uh, others that maybe don't have that background? Absolutely, because they can't make those ranks without doing that. I mean, that's what's nice about the military. If you've got a senior um, you know, enlisted or if you have a junior military officer who's been successful in the military, you can't make those ranks unless you have uh, something on the ball. You have to have the ability to get things done and you have to have the ability to lead others to get things done. And those two are two very important qualities here. No, that's great. And, you know, I know that one thing that, and that's a point of differentiation, right? I haven't heard of anybody doing that, but it makes all the sense in the world. And in fact, I know another topic that you've been doing a great bit of thinking on uh, for yourself and for others is the idea of framing formulas. Can you share that with us? Sure. You know, so John Bone, who's, uh, who you may know as well, Will, he's um, really the, the guru for high-end folks in the wealth management world. He's been helping them for over 20 years. Um, really establish themselves in niches and establishing and make themselves differentiated. And one of the things that I learned from John was using a, a framing formula because a lot of folks in our space will, they'll say, oh, I, I, you know, I sell insurance or I do wealth management or whatever. And it, there's no, there's no differentiation whatsoever. It, it sounds like you're, you're also saying like the, the investment consulting, it's like, yeah, we do that. And yet that's not valuable because that it's almost like you're saying that's, that's commodity. Yeah. You have to have that but there's so much more and that's what makes us unique. Yeah, people wanna make sure that their money is being handled appropriately, done well, and we do that. But more importantly, and this is something from John Bowen, basically four out of five successful investors, and that's defined as at over, 100, over a million investable assets, are looking for an advisor. Now get this, four, it sounds like a dentist commercial or something. Four out of five, <laughs> yeah, four out of five, People are looking for an advisor. So the vast majority of people are not getting all this other stuff. They're just getting the money management. They know there's more, but they don't know who's doing it. And so if you are of that ilk and you are doing wealth, full wealth management, then you need to make sure your prospect is very clear. That's what you do. And you need to make sure all of your media and everything you do clearly states that. And a framing formula is a really simple way to help somebody understand what you do. Yeah, it's interesting. I've heard framing in the context of it can be used uh, as a default. In other words, clients are going to put you in some kind of box. So what you're saying is take control of that so you don't get put in a box uh, along with everybody else. That That's exactly right. Well, in fact, that's the one I, I, I explained to all my uh, advisors. I said, guys, they want to stuff you in a box. Everybody does when they meet somebody. Americans are really good at this. As soon as they meet somebody at a cocktail party, what do you do? I'm a dentist. Okay. You already have a preconceived idea what a dentist is. I'm a surgeon. I'm a, a lawyer. I'm a, a you know, um, an architect, whatever. 
So when somebody comes and says, yeah, I manage money, they, autom they automatically put you in their box, which is not what you do. So as soon as possible in the conversation, you want to define the box you want them to put you into. That's you telling them what box to put into rather than them putting you into some random box they think what you do. So that brings up a good point. I know you and I just saw each other at the Genius Network annual meeting, and there was some discussion about, you know, how do you introduce yourself to other people here? It's a quick conversation. So how do you do that? Let's let's go through that classic example. Let's say you run into somebody there you've never met. How do you quickly get to that uh, differentiated point in a conversation with somebody at an event like that? Well, the first thing I'm saying is I help entrepreneurs establish or, or grow their family compounds. That's, that's what I do. And that that's a pretty clean, clear, you know, yeah. statement. And that's going to bring up another question. So depending on, you know, where they go next, then I have a, a framing formula I use for that as well, which I won't go through right now, but I'll walk them through that and, and I'll do it quickly. Um, so, you know, if you do the first one and somebody says, I'm really interested, I want to know more, then, then you're given the opportunity to provide them, you know, more detail. And that's where you get a framing formula helps you get everything out you can do it quickly too. You can do it in 30 seconds or less. And then that gets them very clear. Oh, so what you do is these three things or these two things or that thing and this thing or whatever it happens to be. And now they're, if they are a prospect, they're like really clear about who you are, if you fit or not. Cause we're just trying to attract to us who we really want. We're not, we don't want the whole world. We just want the folks that fit, you know, who we want to be a hero to. I want to be a hero to the, I want to be a hero to entrepreneurs who are trying to establish family compounds. They want to grow their family compounds. I want to help them with that. I want to do everything I can related to everything about that family and everything about it, everything around it, their business and so forth, uh, through what we do as a firm to support that. So, Well, it's you, you're right. When you told me that, uh, that that's what you do, it made me think of a couple of questions. I mean, the first thing I thought, well, that sounds cool and different. And yeah, I had a sense of what you do. I've never heard anybody describe it that way. And so then you're able to to frame yourself and, and you get them curious. I mean, I think a mistake a lot of people make to your point about being brief is they say for five minutes what they do and the other person just wants to escape. Yeah, they, they just want to get out. They want to go away. They're trying to escape. <laughs> yeah. Or just being polite, man. I didn't really want to know that much. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, they might ask, well, what's, you know, a family company. I said, well, you know, one of them is guiding principles. So what's that? Well, it's, what do you guys know? It's absolutely not negotiable. It has to be there in your compound, in your family estate. And what do you know that are negotiable? Have you guys walked through that? If I'm talking to an account, oh, wow, that sounds interesting. You know, I have a lot of stuff like that. And so we'll put that into a formula as well. But, but that gets them thinking. If they're serious about this, what I just said will hit them very squarely as something very important that they may or may not have done or they kind of kind of did, you know? Well, I think this topic is a great segue to your point about who do you want to be a hero to? And that is the idea that I know you've uh, spent some time working on. It's a continual discussion. And that is uh, creating a push versus pull. Excuse me. <laughs> I got it backwards. Pull versus push. We want to pull, not push uh, in your service approach. So how do you how do you think about that? Yeah. Clients? So I started, you know, in the, in the mid 80s it, selling disability insurance to doctors and life insurance and so forth. And basically, I was taught the push technique, you know, get in there, find out, you know, what gets them, you know, scared or what motivates them and then push that button, push it hard until they say yes. And you fill out the application, get the check and, you know, be on your way. And it's really very much pushing everything on them and not even though you're taught to 
you know, collect information and, you know, you have two ears and one mouth and all this other stuff. Really, it was really pushing the product onto that client with the idea they needed it and everything else, but it wasn't, it was really more of a techniques to overcome objections and, you know, all these other things, which were all based on pushing, you know, this product or service on. Polling is, is much more nuanced. Polling is basically pulling somebody towards what they want to become, what's important to them, what's the bigger thing in their life. And, and if you are going to be a hero to them, you're going to be part of that bigger thing in their life. How do you, as a coach, you know, you're pushing as a salesperson, even as a consultant, because you're telling as a consultant, but as a coach, you're coaching them based on both two elements, what's going on intrinsically inside them, that key thing of, you know, the whole thing with, you know, karate kid, you know, you know, paint the fence and, you know, it's, uh, you know, shine on, shine off, whatever, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and then it's the extrinsic stuff, you know, the regular blocking and tackling the numbers and everything else that goes into everything, but the intrinsic nature of who they are to help them ride that bicycle for the first time, help them get into whatever it is requires coaching and coaching brings the best out in people, not forces them into a direction they may or may not be in their best interest, but you're trying to sell your product or service. So pulling them towards where they want to go to the vision of their future and being there as a coach along the way is a much more powerful, I think more fulfilling personally, approach to doing business with people. And that's really the gist of it. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. And, you know, the pushers, I don't think want to be pushers in most cases, they'd rather not be pushers and yet they don't know another way. So they keep, they keep pushing because that's what they were taught and, and it could be effective, but it doesn't feel very good probably for anybody. And you know, what you're saying, I'm imagining that one challenge a person might think of is now, if I'm reaching out to people to begin with, right, is that, let's think that through, how are you getting in front of new clients? Are you, are you contacting them or are you finding a way where they contact you? How does that work at your company? Yeah, so they're, they're basically uh, contacting us or being referred to us by other uh, folks, a lot of attorneys, accountants, and clients who refer them uh, to us. So I think this all starts. So they get the framing formula. So then they know, oh, this is who you are. And then when we have that first meeting, I mean, 90% of it is them answering a bunch of questions. And as you and I both know, and we've learned this from Dan Sullivan, is people really judge you by the questions you ask. It's not, you know, how well you're a conversationalist or how, how smart you are or all these other things. It's about how well you ask the questions to get from them. The most important elements are basically to help form their thinking as they're moving along it is the best possible result for that time they have with you that hour they might have with you on it and so as you're walking through you're asking questions that are more poll oriented questions you're you don't even get to the money and so forth and it doesn't really matter you just need general understanding of their net worth and it kind of throws people because they bring in their stuff and their spreadsheets thinking oh you gotta you need all my money and no, i don't need any of that i need to know where you're going man what are you trying to do? <laughs> what are you here for? You're not here just to go hand some money over to me. I know that's not true. I uh, said so you can do that anywhere. Um, so I think it's the way you go about setting up. So many times not to be to make sure you're staying on that track. You have everything systemically built that way. And of course, it is who you are. I mean, you are, you know, what's in it for them. It's not what's in it for me. It's not what it's for my company. And when you do that, you come to the realization after a period of time is wait a minute 
if we're going to have this long-term relationship for 20, 30, 40, 60 years, which is what we do as a firm, well, then we got to really understand that. We got to know where they're going. And then we got to help them uh, ask themselves the right questions about very important things that are going on in their lives and then be there to then take care of the fundamentals that need to happen as far as the basic blocking and checking and getting things done, coordinating with people, working with folks and making sure their agenda is on the front page of everybody that works with them. And then everybody knows this is where they're going and where they're with them helping that way. And so when they call and ask you a question, you've gotten their trust, complete faith and confidence, and they let their hair down and going, hey, I'm really struggling with something and so forth. You as a good coach will help them through. You'll ask questions and they'll answer their own questions and have their own answer. That's pulling. You know, that, that, that to me is pulling. And it's not taught, you know, in any of our schools, basically. <laughs> We've learned a lot of it in Strategic Coach and in Genius Network and other ones that you and I have been to. Uh, but it's not, this is not a common language for most folks out there. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. I mean, and, and Dan Sullivan and, and Joe Polish are both masterful at that. They, they create things that are that are valuable and, and high level and they make people want to be part of it. And they're people are writing significant checks to be part of it and they're not pushing it. It's almost like and I'm, I'm getting that from you, too. It's like if, if this isn't a fit for you, we're going to be OK. Not only are we going to be OK, we're really busy. So it, it almost feels to me like you're you're qualifying them and deciding if, if, if you guys want to work with them at least as much as you're helping them do the same. And, and I even heard you say it, it's like, Hey, you could, you could give your money to anybody. So what is it that you're here to talk about? That was a great question. Hey, no, absolutely. And, and quite frankly, you know, on their, you know, it's the whole thing on their deathbed, they're not going to go, gee, I wish I would have did this and got $2 million more out of the deal. They're going to be regretting, not doing things with family, or they're going to be regretting that they didn't focus more on their health, or they're going to be regretting, you know, lots of things that could have been done differently if they had paid attention to what was most important to them and not let, you know, the the uh, uh, colorful lights and everything else get them distracted due to doing stuff that really wasn't in their best interest ultimately, or their family, or where they're trying to go. And and our, I think our job is to help them uh, stay on track with what they told us right up front is important to them, which I find, you know, what, you know, I've got clients now for over 35 years and, you know, what they said day one is still the same 35 years later. It doesn't, people don't change that radically relative to who they are deep down. And so if you get to understand that really well up front as, as, a, as a coach and, and what we do, then you're always able to meet them where they're at and make sure what's most important to them is continuing to happen no matter who they work with. So you keep them away from, the folks who are going to really pull them in the wrong direction, uh, if you can, within the world that you're helping them with, you make sure that the decisions they make are not decisions that are going to pull them in the wrong direction. You know, all the things that are out there that you can help them with relative to that um, will, will will help them pull themselves forward to where they really want to go. And you're there to make sure they stay with it. You know, it's almost like putting up those, you know, the bowling alleys where they put the little rubber uh, uh, things up in the in the alley so you can't your ball has to hit the, the pins you know that's the, oh yeah the little bumpers yeah the bumper things yeah that's to me it's kind of like what you're trying to do is let's, let's just make sure you the ball can go slow as long as it keeps going down where we want it to go and it gets some we get some benefit out of it that's that's good nothing wrong with that well and, and to that point you know you mentioned you've been doing this 35 years and that you're 
you're helping people get a sense of what it's like to work with you and also other other advisors in your in your firms. I'm I'm curious about that. It sounds like you've you've transitioned some th- some things to the COO and and perhaps to some of the other advisors. So, what's that conversation look like when you're when you're transitioning a client or or maybe you're setting it up for something to happen in the future? Yeah. So I don't take on personally. Don't take on solely a new client. So when someone comes in through me, we set up with their advisors. I'm kind of like the guy in the background with the flowing robes and candles, you know, so I'm there <laughs> and, you know, and I, I get asked about looking at various things going on in clients' um, lives, which are complicated maybe for my advisors who haven't been in that space before or whatever, but we have a team of advisors then that take over uh, these, cl- these new clients that come in and we're in the background, we meaning because I have another senior partner. Uh, to make sure that uh, we can do the complete support f- from that uh, location. So I haven't taken any direct clients on that I do alone for 10 years on purpose. So it could free me up to, again, be more the visionary, uh, to be putting those things together relative to uh, coming up with uh, new ways for us to provide better value, additional value, deeper, deeper support uh, for these clients that we continue to work with. Yeah, I've noticed for some advisors that can be challenging at first, generally because of they feel like uh, they owe it to the person to be their person forever or that they don't think anybody else can do it as well as they do. So I'm just curious, was any of that a struggle for you early on? You know, that's a great point. And I learned a really important lesson very early on in the military. So here I am, a 22-year-old second lieutenant getting my first platoon. And you get a platoon for about a year and then you turn it over and someone else takes it over. And I remember it was like a three or four days to go. And I was turning my platoon over and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to get all this information to the next guy who's taking over at this point. It was all men uh, as an infantry officer. And so the new lieutenant coming in and my platoon sergeant said to me, he said, sir, you know, this goes on every day all over the place. Don't worry about it. They'll pick it up. It'll keep going. You're not the you're not the person. Someone else will be here. You just move on and go to the next place. What he was basically saying is you need to get some humility here. You're no better than anybody else. And if you think because you know you're an advisor for so long and all this other stuff that everybody else is inferior to you, or you think that they can't do as good a job, you're sadly mistaken. Point two, if an advisor is getting more and more and more clients just by definition, unless they're becoming just more and more efficient, which isn't always the case, they're going to be giving less and less service to their clients and are immediately going to be reducing the value that they're getting. And so it's very important to get new advisors on so they, they give the time and attention necessary to do what I just said in the Fermi formula. Otherwise, we're not, that's not true. And I see that falsehood a lot. You, you see like an advisor has 300 clients and you know, and one assistant. In our organization, we have 350 clients, we have 25 people. I can tell you that the people get a lot of value from us because we make sure that we've got all the support there to do what we say we do for them. So I can't be taking on all these clients. It's a disservice to them. And quite frankly, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I better not be. Well, to your point, you've, you've, so I love the military example because they're known to have systems and everything's documented. There's a process. There's all types of things that are spelled out. Anything that might happen, who does it, how they do it. 
And it sounds like you built that with your firm and also with the help of some other folks uh, from the from the military. So is that is that part of it? Is it building yeah, systems it, that it, work? That's true. And, I, you know, for the longest time, I stayed away from hiring anybody for the military. And I did hire this our COO. He's a Naval Academy grad. I'm a West Point grad. So, you know, hey, Army Navy game, we won this year, which is you know, <laughs> last year they won. Hey, that's the way it goes. But he's, he's phenomenal. And I know his background. I know what he did. Um, you, you never know. Any any new hire is a new hire, any, no matter what it is. Um, but he did exactly what I thought he would do. And he's a very, very good COO because I, you kind of know the playbook. You, you know the background. You know if he made it to this level and got these positions, he knows his stuff. He knows how to get stuff done. He knows how to lead well. He knows where to mentor. He knows when to make the hard decisions. He knows how to be fair. He knows how to be equitable. You know, there's a lot of elements to that position that most people are just learning on the job uh, to do because they haven't had that kind of training that, that we had, uh, you know, going through the military, uh, which makes a big difference. For sure. And, you know, the the thing you also said about, you know, it's very other focused. You're building this because you realize one person has capacity. So the only way to serve the clients that you're bringing in is to is to hire more people. And, you know, at 25 right now, I mean, as you as you look ahead, have you developed a certain point where you say, OK, it's time to hire another advisor or how do you guys think about that? Yeah, absolutely. We've got a, you know, um, a vision of the future, you know, five year plan of what that looks like, what the you know, the number of advisors we have. We have actually teams you know, three and four person teams we put together for each client. So those, how many teams we have to have, who has to be trained up, uh, who we have to hire and those different, different positions. And we're constantly looking for new hires. We've actually uh, hired three people in the last uh, two months. And in this environment, you were saying, oh, it's really hard to hire. Well, if you've got a really powerful vision uh, and you've got a really um, great service offering, People really now are being more attracted. Number, one, it's not the money anymore. Actually, the number one reason that uh, this changed over COVID, that people um, will take on a new position, is actually the purpose that that position provides to them. What's most important to them is what they're doing, what they're actually providing, what the service or uh, you know product, whatever it is that they're uh, they're involved with. What's important to them about the purpose of filling that part of their their life and everything versus a, a paycheck? And people are getting that wrong. And if you've got a really great uh, organization that's doing all the right things, you will attract uh, the right talent, um, I believe, and won't have a problem hiring in any environment. What's interesting is that you alluded to that with your with your clients. You're helping them, you know, basically define what their what their purpose is through asking great questions, and you're providing that for for others at the company too. So that's the yeah, that's hard to replace, isn't it? A, a purpose that they're connected to. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. When when I'm sitting down with a new a new hire or somebody, I said, look, the way it works is this way: you have the leadership of the firm. The way we treat you is the same way you're going to treat clients. So if we don't treat you just like we treat clients, that's going to show. It'll absolutely show immediately with clients. So we treat you the same way like family. I use that term. I know it's misused out there, but we treat you the same way we treat them as an advisor. So that as you are having interaction with them, it's, it's, a, it's a pass through all the way. So it's very consistent messaging from the top all the way through to the client. And that is key. Now, that's very attractive to people. 
and when they come in here, it's it's not unusual for many of our team members to really love it here. So you guys just are phenomenal. Now we hear we we just know we like it this way. We like to operate this way. We don't operate like most businesses, uh, but we wanted to build an environment we felt was conducive to providing what you heard in that framing formula to these families. And to 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 have an environment like that, you really have to be looking deeply at your each individual to develop them to become the best version they can of where they're going to help the purpose of these families they're dealing with and that's a pretty deep you know message and i know there's a lot of business owners kind of rail at that like are you kidding me well the interesting part about it is you know the more they're in our organization uh the stronger they are and they make really strong connections to our clients and we we don't have turnover really because uh, people love working with us because we we really take care of them. Well, it's 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 in alignment. What's great about that is that everything's in alignment when you're consistent with your clients and with your team, and everybody's part of something that they that they want to be part of. Right? That I'm imagining that helps with client retention and everything else because of that consistency, where it's not one thing when they have a conversation with one person and it feels different when they're with somebody else. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, it's a funny thing about it, Will, it's actually the power of the systems behind it that make that happen because you can't really be consistent that way unless everybody has information at their fingertips. And so that's something, you know, we have a, a patent on that, a patent and business process that we put in place. And you, I talked about it last time a bit, um, was really with the mind mapping and so forth. Uh, but when you have all that complex stuff down into processes and systems and easy lookups, then I always say it's this. Most people in the service world spend the majority of their time just trying to find stuff, organize it, think about it, and spend less time in the productive conversation. Uh, 25 years ago, I said we have to flip that formula. We have to allow our people and ourselves to spend the majority of our time talking about substantive things and less about finding and looking around and trying to get, gather information because that's where everything happens. And when I when you flip that model around, that you every time you have interaction with a client, it's a very powerful interaction for them because it now becomes all about them and less about all the administration, all the garbage you have to deal with every other service call they deal with. Uh, you want to get rid of all that, have it on the background and really powerful uh, technology and processes and systems will allow that to happen. Well, you know, it makes me think of another thing that I it, I think you've been good at for a long time. And, and I say another strength from the military background is, you know, the idea of being able to focus on something or what you reference as a deep work, being able to carve that out. I mean, you've always thought about your business where a lot of us wind up being in the day to day. We don't think about things like what you just mentioned. So how does that deep work work for you in a world of increasing distraction? Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And I first got that term from Cal Newport, a book he put out. I'm trying to get the name of it right now off the top of my head, but it was about probably eight or 10 years ago. And he really described uh, deep work and what that meant. And and then it, got, it came back around again when Keith Cunningham came out with his, his book, The Road Less Stupid, which a lot of folks know about and have read, where he talks about that daily practice of really spending time thinking about your thinking, as we would say in strategic coach, but spending that time in what I would call deep work. I like Cal Newport's term on that. Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, a, a really busy entrepreneur is, is going to be a frustrated, disorganized, and I would say low confidence entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs need to be able to be able to set time aside to think deeply. And I know the 
person I know who's the best and the epitome of this is Dean Jackson. Dean Jackson spends majority of his time just thinking about what's going on in the world with his business, with his partners, with his customers, with his clients. And he's really, really good at that. If you want to talk to somebody who really understands that at a deep level, but we can all learn to take a half hour, an hour a day to have uh, counsel with ourselves, to sit through and go through what's going on, what's what's important right now, what do I need to put my attention on, uh, what's going to make the biggest impact moving forward based on where we're moving right now, and that that's really what, in my term, and I'm and I'm probably bastardizing what Cal Newport went through, but that's what I what I would say is deep work. Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great book. I re, I remember I think uh, Dan may have sent it to us, or maybe I heard about it through Strategic Coach, and and I remember that. The idea was that there's the ability to be a craftsman and that that is lost and that people tend to just do fragmented work. Right. And so what you were just saying about, I imagine it must have taken quite a bit of deep work to come up with these systems and to get it at everybody's fingertips. It sounds like you've been working on that you know, for quite a while. It's actually on my schedule. Uh, my team puts it on because um, I'm an early person, early morning person. It's usually on for about uh, five to eight hours every week in the morning, like around six thirty to eight thirty time frame. Because most mm -hmm. people are still sleeping or they're still, you know, kind of getting ready for the day, and you're not going to get a lot of phone calls and you're not going to get a lot of distractions. And so it's a good time. And and they've proven it scientifically. You know, the, 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 that morning routine is helpful for writing, for doing lots of different things, where you're trying to get clear about the day, clear about where you are right now, and all that. And I think it's a great practice. It's, to me, I, I believe it's one of the things every entrepreneur should strive to do on a daily basis uh, to put it into their schedule. Yeah. Do you imagine if somebody hasn't done it? I'm just picturing. So I know how valuable it is, and my brain tricks me. Right? I'm sitting here. I'm like, oh, I'm going to work through this this strategic coach thinking tool. And then uh, my phone starts to buzz. So do you have, do you have some rules to, I mean, you're probably really good at it now, but were there tricks to it to, to keep distraction out other than the morning part where people aren't bothering you as much yet? Yeah. I kind of have to not look at any, anything. Um, I have to, I have to know that I want to work on whatever and, and believe it or not, I just use plain yellow pads and so forth of paper. And I'll have things out that I'll work on. And I try, I play kind of like a fielder's choice. You know how in baseball, they'll say fielder's choice, you know, ball's coming and one of the, one of the fielders will take it, you know, depending on where my, my head is that morning, I, I will work on whatever I feel is needs my attention. So I do a little bit of that because my day's heavily scheduled. And again, you can't be heavily scheduled all the time or else it gives you no time to breathe. And I'm entrepreneurial breathing where you're really getting very clear, deep breaths about what's going on in your entrepreneurial world and where you need to go next. So you can actually aerobically get there and not be in this anaerobic phase of freneticism, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, um, over a long period of time. So I think it's really important for entrepreneurs to decompress and to really get deep, deeply into something to help them shake themselves, you know, in, into, into a different mode at times. Oh, that's, that's spot on. In fact, I, I remember Dan talked about that, something that affected what you just said about tightly scheduled entrepreneurs aren't as creative as they could be, or, you know, because it's true. It's like you've, but you found a way to use that to your advantage and put that, uh, the creativity and the, the yellow pad is, is not going to buzz at you too, right? That's, that's appealing. It doesn't beep. Right. And that was, that was it. And you, you'll notice my, 
my phone, I and once in a while I'll get notification to turn back on, but I have no notifications on my phone. It's always on uh, vibrate um, because it's just it's just incessant otherwise, you know. And same with my my setup on all my computers. There there are no there's only one notification. That's when I have a meeting. It dings 15 minutes before and it dings when it starts. But that's the only notification I have uh, because those I have to keep, obviously. Right. No, that's that's brilliant, and and it's uh, the world is set up to not want us to do that. Every app's like, let us bother you whenever we want. You know, we have to go out and and tell them to stop doing that, so we can get our attention back, which is very valuable, as you were saying. Yeah, yeah, I agree, totally. Will I'd love to have you talk about you know as we wrap up in the next few minutes the idea of, of balancing the art and science of uh, wealth management. You know, um, when I get my young advisors and they're getting their CFPs and they're moving along and everything. You know, and you get caught in that academic world where I've got to know all this stuff. You know, and that's the science. And um, I, I give them an interesting look at that. And I said, you know, not that you'll do it the Gary Cliven method, but um, what I learned early on, this was really from my military experience and going through the academy and so forth, because they do a lot of different academic stuff, is I wanted to get everything done within the first two years. So I basically got all the certifications and my master's degree actually took a little longer, but basically all that stuff done really quickly. In fact, well beyond what anybody does in our industry, very, very quickly up front. And, and I have a whole methodology doing it and everything. And so, so why'd you, why'd you try to know all that? I said, no, I didn't want to know all that. I want to know what I didn't know. That was my goal. So that I could spend the majority of my time learning the art form of my business so that I always had that information in the back pocket. Um, but I wouldn't focus on that. I would focus on the ability to understand the big concepts of our world and what we do in wealth management so that I could have great conversations with clients and use that art to see what's going on with them when I could catch them in a mode and understand, wait a minute, tell me more about what is that you just said? And all of a sudden, it was great conversation about something they've been struggling with for 20 years. And if you weren't listening well and you're thinking about the science of your field, you'd miss the whole thing. And I see this happen all the time with advisors because they got I got to know I got to know the latest thing and I got to do. I say, fine, get that out of the way, but do it quickly <laughs> so you can get quicker to the art form. So you can become a really good coach, a really good financial coach. And yes, you will have that stuff in your background, but you'll know what you don't know and you bring in the experts when necessary, but you'll have the big picture stuff, which is really all your clients ask you to do anyway. It is such a great point. You know, the, the idea of, and I imagine for some, it's probably a confidence thing of what if they ask a question I don't know? And, and then what you're saying is, well, first of all, that will happen. <laughs> and, and I love the, the philosophy of learn it quickly, uh, almost like get it over with. It's there and then pay attention to where they need help. And I, I love how you say uh, financial coach. I mean, it sounds like your mindset of thinking of yourself as a coach uh, has impacted how you work with clients and it's been positive. Yeah, and I think of John Wooten, he always comes to mind because he was such a quiet man and such a very powerful man and a very extremely effective coach. Um, but here's the interesting thing about him, and most people don't know this about him, but in the first uh, session, the first basketball practice, you know, he won 10 out of 12 years NCAA title, you know, with the UCLA Bruins, which is just unheard of you know, final four going 10 times in 12 years. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, is one of his his, uh, his basketball players and 
to Bill Walton, I think. Anyway, but what he did was in the first hour of the first day of the first practice, he taught every single basketball player how to tie their shoes, their sneakers. So he went through an hour tying sneakers. You might think, well, why would he do <laughs> that? And what he was really making sure people understood is the art and science. The science is you have to make sure back then they didn't have, they, they were sneakers. They weren't, there were no basketball shoes in the 60s. They had to make sure they were tied correctly. You didn't want your laces come untied. You'd trip, fall, hurt yourself, be out of the game. It was a very important thing to do. And so it was important to get that down. That's the science. Then it allows them not to think about their feet, not to think about their shoes being untied, not to think about I might have shoelaces so they can spend the time building their art of how to play basketball. And to me, that's art and science. Science, you got to get the basics down. Do it. Do it right, do it up front, and get it out of the way so you can then really go into the art. Well, you, you brought up another point about, you know, they need us to think about the big picture. That's such a great example from John Wooden, by the way. I mean, that, that track record is, is, is ridiculous and hard to believe it actually happened. You know, we know it did, but it, uh, incredible. And, you know, when you said have the expert, is, is having the expert in mind as part of that, knowing that you don't have to know the answer to all the questions? Yeah, you know, again, if you go through the CFP program, if you take the Master's of Science Financial Services, you're in the top 1% of people in the industry who understands what's going on with all the data behind everything. If you do that. Now, I, I, I know I'm going to say some people will, t will go, what? But you can do that in a, in a year or two easily. By you know, again, you, you know, successful people do with unsuccessful people won't do. You know, I spent weekends on that and I have a whole process of going through extremely fast and I teach people the process. So, which normally would take you, you know, whatever hours, I teach people how to do that in one tenth the time because I help them focus on just the concepts of every one of these areas and learning enough of the details so they can be conversant in it, not become an expert in all these different areas, which is impossible. Um, but they need to know the, enough of their craft to be able to then structure and do the things necessary to be a great financial coach or wealth coach uh, for them if that's where they're going. And that's just been my, you know, my viewpoint of it, but it does take a lot of hard work. Well, yeah, it's, it, you're, you're thinking ahead. You're thinking about things like, okay, what's necessary and how can we do it efficiently? And one thing I'm noticing about you is, do you ever think of yourself as somebody that is a, very good at prioritization and, and simplifying. Like if you can take something and reduce it the time that much, you must be pretty good at figuring out the parts that matter and the parts that don't. Yeah, that, that's that's what I'm, I'm really good at. I, I'm a really good simplifier um, when it comes to most everything in my life. I just like shortcuts. I like to make direct line to things rather than doing it. And if it can be done in three steps instead of five, that's what I do. And so the whole school thing was I learned um, when I was at West Point, how to study differently by my roommate. Uh, and he had not taught me that. I would never have done taken this technique. And what the technique basically did is save me thousands and thousands of hours of studying um, to get the same result. And I, I was just amazed at you know, this approach he took. And I said, wow, I totally missed the boat on this whole education thing. And so when you got in the real world and you got you know, spouse and kids and mortgage and other things you have to be done. You have limited amount of extra time. So how do you take that limited amount of time 
get you the coursework to know just enough because you don't need it. It changes all the time. But understand all the concepts, not know every single detail, but every single kind of technique and every single thing, because that's it changes every day. You're, it, that's a waste of time. But but what does not change is the conceptual part of, you know, what different kinds of investments are, what different kinds of tax code and how it normally operates and you know, those kinds of things that are conceptually always the same that you can then use when you're coaching. And you can look up the detail at the time when something specific comes up or have your team members do that. Normally that's what we do. The other professionals look it up because that's their job to be detailed and have that done correctly. And I think advisors spend way too much time trying to be really, really good and deep in a particular craft when their clients are really struggling to get through basic understanding of where they're going in life and they're spending too much time on the detail of the numbers or whatever else there happens to be, the tax code or the words within a document or whatever happens to be. And that's not what they're called to do. The, those specialists, those who's out there that are deep into those areas are called to do that. And that is that is a great way to, to wrap it up and, and, and such a gift you have and, and empowering others with it. The idea of, of learning how to simplify things and realize that's that's more valuable than, than going really deep in anything. Man, this is uh, the time's flown by, Gary. I appreciate you uh, being here with us again today. Uh, hey, Will, it's, all, it's my pleasure. I, I really love having you invite me on and I hope people get you know something out of this and uh, move forward. Just one person takes one takeaway and runs with it, it'd be wonderful. Well, no doubt that'll happen. And until next time, everybody.